0: On this week's show, we focus on football in Morocco, as the country's had huge success of late, with RS Bacan winning an all-Moroccan CAF Super Cup last weekend. We look at the fans' expectations for new national team coach Walid Regraghi ahead of the World Cup, and we get an update on the Moroccan government's huge football development programme.
1: This football centre of Rabat is one of the best in the world, as described by the FIFA president, Infantino.
0: That's coming later. Also, we zoom in on the UEFA Champions League and ask if Sadio Mane's move to Bayern Munich has been Liverpool's downfall. And we ask what we can expect from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at Chelsea. That's all coming up. Uh, we start with a rather bizarre story, as this week the Egyptian giants al Ahly, Africa's most successful club, have decided to reduce their winning bonus for players to $1,300 per player and have increased the penalty for losing a match to $2,600 per player for next season. Well, now, we know that the top Egyptian clubs expect nothing but success. But would you see this as a positive or negative factor for players, either, increasing the punishment for losing a match financially?
2: Well, Steve, I will say this. Football over the decades has really changed, and especially with the money aspect. Al-Ali is definitely one African club that's never shied away from paying the big bucks, And I think with them, you know, that's what gives them leverage to make a move like this. I mean, let's look at the FIFA Club World Cup, for example, earlier in 2022. That was when the club took bronze and a former coach, Pizzo Mosimene. Well, each player got close to $14,000 as a bonus. Club President Mahmoud El-Khatib, well, he is known to put his money where his mouth is and bonuses are often given for big wins. And actually, Steve, it's not the first time that Al-Ali is doing this, this implementing of financial penalties for losses. They did it as recently as a year ago, I believe, when Al-Ali stunningly lost the Egyptian Super Cup to El-Gaish. Now, the entire unit, including the technical bench, was fined a combined $19,000, something that was then revoked after the team beat Zamalek in the Cairo Derby not too long after that. So, you see, (laughs) according to the powers that be at Al-Ali, This does look like a tried and tested approach. (laughs) But Steve, with the big wages that many of these players earn at these big clubs, well, uh, reality is that complacency once in a while might be a thing. And if you ask the players, I'm sure that they'd say that they are giving it their all, you know, and it's just different circumstances that are combining for the poor performance. But in North African football, and especially for a club like Al-Ali, a third place finish in the league and no continental trophy, Steve, that will raise eyebrows. From the player's perspective, I'll say this. You know, money has definitely become the biggest thing about football, as we've said. No two ways about that. But one in an ideal world shouldn't be scared into winning, you know. And as idealistic as it may sound in today's world, at least, there should still be pride, I'm thinking, in playing for the badge.
0: Well, thanks, Ida. Certainly a rather strange policy that uh, from Al uh, Athley. Well, next here on Planet Sport, Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. We focus on football in Morocco. As the country's had huge success of late, RS Bacan beat Widad Casablanca in an all-Moroccan CAF Super Cup last weekend. Uh, The women's national team surprised many by finishing runners-up at the Women's Africa Cup of Nations, which Morocco hosted this year, and the men's team qualified for this year's World Cup. Now, somewhat surprisingly, the Bosnian Vahid Halihodzic was fired as national team coach and replaced by a local coach, Walid Regraghi, at the end of last month. Regraghi's 46, he won the Champions League this year with Wirad Casablanca, and uh, his appointment saw the return of Hakim Ziyech, the Chelsea forward to the national team, for the upcoming friendlies against Chile and Paraguay. Well, I spoke to our man in Casablanca in Morocco, Jalal Banwar, and first asked what the feeling is in Morocco about how Regraggi will do with the national team.
1: So, uh, Moroccan fans, they were not satisfied with the work of Haliluzic, even if he was able to reach the FIFA World Cup. But generally, there was no satisfaction in terms of his relationship with players, with fans, and uh, even the performance. So, Fans wanted him to leave and he wanted a Moroccan coach as a new experience, you know, as a new experience um, uh, to believe in a national coach, not foreigners who haven't been able to do any achievement in the recent uh, maybe uh, three decades. So maybe except the qualification to the World Cup with Hervé Renard, Russia 2018, and this one with uh, Haliluzic. But generally Moroccan fans, and the football federation and generally the Moroccan authorities they said why not to give this uh, this uh, maybe experience of the world cup to a Moroccan coach who knows Moroccan football who knows Moroccan players very well and who is able to make the fans uh, satisfied and to solve the main problem that was before it's the problem of the 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 misunderstanding between the coach and some players, mainly Hakim Ziyech uh, of uh, uh, Chelsea, and also Nosser Mazraoui, who plays now for Bayern Munchen, they were not uh, they were not called to join the national team by Wahid Halilovic. And the fans, this is why those players are key players who must uh, join the national team. So I think Walid Regragui, the way he speaks. To the fans, the way the way he motivates the players. So his name did not come like that. I mean, at random. His name was really chosen uh, after big, big, big uh, maybe discussions within the Moroccan Football Federation.
0: Uh, right, but Regragi doesn't have much time to prepare the team for the World Cup. Uh,
1: yeah, sure, but uh, look, we he knows very well the national team. He used to play for the national team, and he's young. And he is in contact with majority of players. And let me give you an example. is Hakim Zayek. When Regragui took the national team and he called Hakim Zayek to join the national team, Zayek said with pleasure because he knows very well what is Regragui and his communication abilities and his motivation that he spreads to the players. I think he knows very well Moroccan players and he is in contact with them. Not only players who play in Europe, but also Moroccan players who play in the Moroccan league and those who play in the Arab league. So I think uh, the best choice for Moroccans—I mean, I'm talking about Moroccan fans—to be honest with you, it's Walid Regragui, the winner of the the the, the, the Champions League. With with that, maybe we can have uh, like uh, another example. What uh, maybe uh, Belmadi, the the Algerian coach, what he did uh, within the national team of Algeria when he won the african title uh for yeah for the first african title
0: so we'll see how he does in the upcoming friendlies and last weekend there in morocco you had the caf super cup played in rabat and renaissance burkan beat widad casablanca a massive crowd there and renaissance burkan the confederation cup winners doing very well chalal yes the renaissance of burkan it's an example of a new emerging football power in
1: in Africa, not only in Morocco. And to be honest with you, Berkane is a city that is far away from the center of Morocco. It's in the east of Morocco. I mean, it's a remote city, small city, but the local authorities there, they gave time, they gave all types of of support to the the team there so that they they could maybe build up a, a big, big team. That can compete not only nationally but also internationally. So we have seen renaissance of Berkan winning the Confederation Cup last year and before reaching the final of the same competition. And this time, uh, winning I mean this year winning the the the, the Super Cup against without Casablanca. So it was all. A Moroccan affair, it was all uh, a celebration of the promotion that has happened uh, and it's happening in, in Moroccan football. When you see two Moroccan clubs reaching the, the final of, of the African uh, inter-clubs competitions and one winning the Karthel Champions League, and one winning the Confederation Cup, that means a lot to Moroccan football. So let's say that today we're not talking only about Raja, Casablanca, and we that Casablanca has the biggest teams in Morocco, but we can also talk about a new emerging Moroccan football power, which is Renaissance of
0: Yes, a renaissance began becoming uh, quite a force. Last year, Jalal, on the show, you told us about the football development program in Morocco with massive government support and a Morocco finished runners-up at the Women's Africa Cup of Nations, which they hosted. And this program seems to be doing really well. Yeah,
1: sure, sure. I think Morocco, uh, politically speaking, they are trying to to promote the sector of of youth and sport. Morocco is investing a lot in football development uh, by building big stadiums in different Moroccan cities. Let me tell you, about 12 cities in Morocco, now they have big, big, big stadiums that are suitable to host international competitions, and that's very important. So the federation has built also a national football centre that hosts different national teams training caps in addition to various sporting events. And this football centre of Rabat is one of the best in the world, as described by the FIFA president Infantino. Morocco has also, as you said, promoted women's football and is doing well to promote women's football through creating a local uh, football league and also through obliging and urging all uh, Second division clubs and also first division clubs to create a woman a women's team. So it's as a condition to play in 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 the league. So, for example, all Moroccan teams, we had uh, Raja, Association Far, Renaissance Berka, in order to play the men's league, for example, they must create a women's team, and that's a criterion to participate in the league. So the National Football Centre, let me add a very important point, is open to different national teams. I mean, under 20, under 17, under 15, uh, both men's teams and women's teams. So if you go there, you find them living and studying there. You find uh, talented uh, students, uh, I mean, who play for different national, uh, national teams, age categories, they live there. They are living and studying at the centre. It's a, a strategic policy to identify the best uh, talents in, in, in Morocco. So I think Morocco is doing well now in promoting women's football and also different um, age categories, trying to make the game popular, not only in big cities but also in remote remote areas and villages. And big, big budget is provided by the Moroccan government to help promote uh, Moroccan
0: football. Exciting times uh, in Morocco. I speaking there to Jalal bonwa our reporter in Casablanca in Morocco. Uh, well, Ida, we heard something similar from Jalal last year on the show about the massive government backing for football in Morocco and the plans to develop the game further. And clearly the plan is bringing
2: results. I mean, Steve, the simple fact that we saw the African Super Cup happen in Morocco last weekend between two of the continent's biggest teams, at least currently, Aris Berkane and Widad Casablanca, both Moroccan, I think says a lot. And this is in addition to both the men and women's national teams qualifying for their respective World Cups. Morocco's women's team, Steve, is actually the first female Arab side to qualify for the Women's World Cup. So you can just imagine how big this is. And look, the junior team's not being left behind. The female under-17 team qualified for the World Cup in India. The boys also got to the finals of the Arab under-17 Cup. All this, Steve, not forgetting that Morocco is also the current Chan holder. And as we've seen, as all of Africa has pretty much seen by now, Morocco has almost unmatched infrastructure. I mean, they've hosted so many big competitions, sometimes controversially, (laughs) as we've talked about before, and even events, you know, like the CAF Awards. But Steve, it goes beyond infrastructure. It goes beyond titles. Yes, the country has invested incredible amounts of money in this vision by Fauzi Lecture, the president of the Moroccan Football Federation. But I think it also gives insight into the dedication and the passion that even the royal family of Morocco has in this project. Now, King Mohammed VI said to be the biggest backer of this project. We also have the likes of uh, Mowad Haji, who actually left CAF and took his place back home in Morocco, you know, to give leadership to this entire thing. So there's a lot of belief, there's a lot of strategy, and there's a lot of efficiency, Steve. And as they say, the proof, is in the pudding. In this case, it's definitely on the pitch.
0: Yeah, Morocco really leading the way, and they'd be the envy of many football fans around Africa without a huge government support. Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, we ask what we can expect from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at Chelsea. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, let's go to social media now. Last week, we asked her, what's your favourite English Premier League transfer in this just-ended window? Uh, the transfer window closed with record spending and lots of exciting players joining English Premier League clubs. So we asked her, what's your favourite among those transfers? We had lots and lots of suggestions. Uh, firstly, Kaza in Malawi says, for me, it's Casemiro, who moved from Real Madrid to Manchester United. Uh, RGDS, the one also in Malawi, says, for me, it's Lissandro Martinez. Martinez from Ajax to Manchester United and Adebayo David says yeah I love that guy very much Alessandro uh, Martinez uh, also looking at Manchester United signings uh, Vinny Ochieng says it's Anthony carbgo uh, A. in Sierra Leone says yes the unstoppable Anthony from Ajax and Sudeco Suno in the Gambia says yeah my favourite transfer is Anthony the 21st Manchester United player to score on their Premier League debut Coleman Felix says Julian Alvarez is my favourite, the Argentina forward joining Manchester City. And Belong Badji in the Gambia says Darwin Nunez is my favourite. He's very influential and aggressive at the front. He banged in a few goals with assists for Liverpool at the start, but his performance has dropped slightly now, says Belong, but he has the time to regain his confidence to overcome uh, those factors. Uh, Wilfred Kihara says uh, Gabriel Jesus is the best, and agreeing with Wilfred is Kouani uh, Kuani Lualtoan Gat Riel in Ethiopia, and uh, George Litu in Kenya, who says Gabriel Jesus more fire. Uh, Kenny magon is in Zimbabwe. Uh, Kenny says it's Richarlison, the Brazilian who's joined Tottenham, and also I like Perisic's move uh, to Tottenham, says Kenny. Uh, Noah Komen in Kenya uh, says I like uh, Robert Lewandowski's move to Barcelona and Erling Haaland to Manchester City. And Alucine Bangura in Sierra Leone says yes, it's Haaland, the best transfer, uh, followed by Gabriel Jesus. And not surprisingly, Erling Haaland got the majority of the verdicts with his big move to Manchester City from Borussia Dortmund, uh, Suleiman Conte in the Gambia, uh, Cahiz in Namibia and Ekom Eric in Cameroon all picking out Haaland, along with Jeffrezo Carbede in Liberia. Uh, Jeffredo says, I'm a Man United fan, but Erling Haaland is my favourite transfer. He's proving his self-worth every game he plays. He's not wasted money and he's carrying golden boots this season. Season, says Jeff Rezo. Uh, Barok Birra in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, says that's a simple question. It must be Haaland. And Meles Mengissu in Kenya, says Haaland, is a goal machine. Thanks so much for all of those contributions. Always great to hear from you on social media. This week we're asking, uh, will Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang be a hit at Chelsea? Remember, the Gabon star left the English Premier League after falling out with Arsenal boss Mikel Arteta last year and went to Barcelona, but he's back in the Premier League now after a deadline day move to Chelsea. So how do you think he'll do at the Blues? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Will Aubameyang be a hit at Chelsea? Right next here on Planet Sport Football Africa show brought to you by Passion for Sport. Let's talk European football and uh, Stuart's away this week. And I'm joined by my colleague Ephraim Tagu from uh, Star FM Radio here in Zimbabwe. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Ephraim. Uh, Thanks, Steve. Uh, Good to be here. Yeah, great to have you on the show. We're going to talk a lot about the UEFA Champions League uh, today as uh, it is in full flow, two rounds of games played already. Uh, Liverpool with a late winner to beat Ajax 2-1 at uh, Anfield. Uh, what sort of a space are Liverpool in? Should fans be panicking? Is it still early days this season, Ephraim? Oh, it's still early days, Steve. When you look at Liverpool losing to Napoli, it was a heavy
3: defeat. Let's not uh, try to sugarcoat anything there. But Napoli are in, a, are in a great place right now, top of this area, in the standings, uh, the mid-rangers by three goals to nil. And um, Liverpool, unfortunately, they're having a down year, and it's very concerning if you If you're someone who was believing that Liverpool can win the quadruple this year, having narrowly missed out on the quadruple last year.
0: (laughs) Uh, So is Sadio Mane the factor here, having moved from Liverpool to Bayern Munich? uh, Is the Senegal captain the man who's uh, caused this drop in Liverpool's fortunes? Well, unfortunately, uh, the transfer dealings... They they just haven't worked
3: so far for for Jürgen Klopp. You know, letting Sadio Mane go was a mistake. You look at Sadio Mane and how Liverpool play. He was the trigger for that uh, for that press. He would go there running, his socks off, working very hard, and and the rest of the team would follow. Now you bring in someone like Darwin Nunes, who's your traditional number nine. He's not going to press for you, and you know evidence that maybe Jürgen Klopp is admitting that he made a bit of a mistake. He's now dropping uh, Darwin Nunes. You know, he's the past. Two games, he was fit, but he started off the bench. So maybe that's a bit of an admission of guilt that Sadio Mane is missed at Liverpool.
0: And what's your assessment of uh, Mohamed Salah struggling for goals this season? And uh, uh, those of us uh, who are following African football knew, I think, that his performance had dropped after the AFCON and after the World Cup qualifiers uh, where Egypt missed out to Senegal. Uh, Two big blows for him. I think maybe people are now realising that at the moment he's not the player that he was. Well, at the moment, surely it, it
3: has affected him. You know, he he really wanted to go to the World Cup. He was missing out on, on all of these things due to Senegal's fine form and due to a teammate called Sadio Mane. So you can imagine what that that does to a player. So for now, Mohamed Salah, things are not going well for him. Steve Nichol, one of the legends at um, Liverpool Football Club, who won the Champions League and multiple um, league titles, thinks that, the ball is just bobbling the wrong way for Mohamed Salah but when you look at him play you know it seems to be bouncing on his toe it's hitting his shin he's not controlling it well and when you look at the goal that he scored in the Champions League he miscontrolled it and you know he was struggling just to make a connection to score that goal and that's not the finesse that we associate with uh, Mohamed
0: Salah yeah and the fortune the things that usually go his way as you say are not um, elsewhere in the Champions League uh, what's your thoughts about uh, Real Madrid and uh, Barcelona this season Ifram. so Karim Benzema hobbled off in the first half of uh,
3: their first game uh, that 's Real Madrid the Champions. And I was, I was interested in finding out how they would cope without their inspirational captain. And, you know, during, during the week, we saw the Champions League game where the likes of Marco Asensio, Rodrigo, Vinicius Jr., Federico Valverde had to step up to the plate and fill in that goal scoring void. And, and they did so. They are winning games without Karim Benzema, which is very, very encouraging. And I, I'd like to see how far they can go without him, uh, because he seemed to just carry the whole team on his back. You know, at one point, people thought that Real Madrid were a one-man team. As for Barcelona against Bayern Munich, I guess they were exposed. Steve, they really struggled to to get those goals into the back of the net. Lebo Lewandowski, great addition, uh, but too many new players at the same time for me. They take some time to gel.
0: Um, Paris Saint Germain still looking for this elusive uh, title. Three-one uh, winners away to Maccabi Haifa of Israel. Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe all scoring. Oh wow, <laughs> the three musketeers <laughs> The big three if you like uh, It's
3: good to see them clicking It's good to see Kylian Mbappe playing with a smile On his face, a lot of reports about How he's uh, been a little bit of uh, A disaster in the dressing room After getting, uh, getting that big uh, Contract, uh, but it's good to see them click uh, They are playing well and, and I guess for a big team like uh, Paris Saint-Germain, I think maybe you can throw in Manchester City in there as well The aim is to win not just their domestic league titles But um, to win the Champions League, and if they fail again this year, we could see some some serious changes in that team and people being sold. So I, I guess for me, it looks like this is just that one year where it's all or nothing for these three.
0: So they've got to take it this year, otherwise there'll be changes. Yes, it's, it's this year or bust. And uh, what about Chelsea then, with their new manager, Graham Potter, who they've taken from Brighton? A 1-1 draw in Potter's first game in the Champions League against RB Salzburg. And uh, somewhat humorously, Potter said before the game he'd never been to a Champions League match before.
3: <laughs> and he said his surname is Potter, but it's not Harry Potter. There's no wand there. <laughs> so he's not looking to do any magic. Uh, but yes, it's, it's a concern uh, that he hasn't been at that elite level as a manager or as a player or as a spectator. Uh, but uh, he has uh, proven that he can sort out a defense. That's what I wanted to see. Can Chelsea start keeping clean sheets? If you look at historically, even during Jose Mourinho's time, you go to und- Tony Conte's time, they're always built on a solid um, uh, back line. And, and that's what I want to see from uh, from Graham Porter. And also I'd like to see pierre Emerick Aubameyang score some goals as well. You know how I'm a, uh, I'm a big uh, Aubameyang fan and uh, just watching him in the week he's still struggling with a uh, bit of match fitness, he's still wearing that uh, face mask uh, so it, it hasn't been going for him so far and he's been playing limited minutes. I'd like to see him get a full 90 minutes and get a run of games and see how he, he can get some goals for Chelsea.
0: What do you think he's capable of actually Kelsey.
3: I think he's still the same player that he was, the, the player that won the golden boot at Arsenal. I think he can be that number nine that they've been missing. They they tried um, to to put Kai Havertz there, hasn't really worked. Timo Werner tried that out, hasn't really worked. And now Aubameyang is a proven goal scorer, and I think he he can be maybe second only to Sterling in terms of goal scoring in that team but I think he can pip Sterling if he gets uh, the opportunity.
0: See how it goes there. Now, uh, one really interesting story this week, Chelsea owner, uh, Todd Boehly's uh, idea of uh, the English Premier League having an all-star game, which is uh, as American an idea as it gets. you get it in American football, in the NBA basketball, where uh, uh, the stars of the league uh, come together for an all-star game, uh, which makes a lot of money. Uh, Bowley had suggested a north versus south, but- but uh, does this uh, American idea fit in with the English Premier League? Well,
3: because it's coming from... An American voice, it, it, it gets a bit of backlash. People are not taking to it well at the minute. But it, it's, it's something that would be nice to see. It's, it's, it's a good idea, Steve, where, again, you can just imagine the London clubs. You've got Harry Kane. You've got Gabriel Jesus. Uh, you've got Thomas Party in, in the same team as, um, you know, Yocante and players like that. And you've got on the other side the Manchester players and the Liverpool players playing in one team as South takes on North. You know, that, that's, that's a good idea but there's no space for it you know this fixture congestion is just too much there's a lot of complaints about whether they should have a winter break and things of that nature so to find space for that game that that would be a headache but for me I'm, I'm just going to go in the opposite direction of many people and say this one is is a good idea
0: could be a game too far but who wouldn't want to watch that and there is a, a charitable aspect uh to it somewhat as well.
3: Yes, uh, some of the proceeds, uh, some of the proceeds will go down to uh, the development aspect of the lower tier teams, uh, because when you when you have an all star game, it, it generates a lot of money. You look at how, how it's being done in the NBA, where you get an opportunity to see LeBron James and Steph Curry playing in one team. You know when you usually see them battling against each other, uh, so people will pay to watch Erling Haaland, Mohamed Salah, Cristiano Ronaldo playing in one team.
0: So it's an irresistible concept, but perhaps no space for the all-star game in the congested uh, English calendar. Thanks, Ephraim. That's Ephraim Tagu there. English Premier League is back this weekend, but the Chelsea-Liverpool game and Manchester United's match against Leeds both postponed. Because of the funeral of Queen Elizabeth, Uh, Brighton Crystal Palace also is postponed. Uh, Man City playing away to Wolves on Saturday. Uh, Leaders Arsenal away to Brentford on Sunday. And Tottenham playing at home to Leicester on Saturday. Arsenal a point ahead of Man City and Spurs. Uh, The UEFA Champions League is back uh, on the 4th of next month. And next weekend will be an international break uh, with no English Premier League action. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.